0: Red Rocks Church. You look good. Great to see each and every one of you in church tonight. Like I said, you look, you look good. Before we go any, any further, I'd like to welcome uh, all of our Denver area campuses. Uh, I wanna welcome Evergreen, Lakewood, Littleton, and Arvada. And in addition, I'd like to welcome all of our men and women at our God Behind Bars campuses, men at Colorado Territorial. And then, all my friends at Denver Women's Correctional Facility, uh, we love you. And then, of course, our new campus uh, overseas in Brussels, Belgium. I'll be with you guys next week, and we love you. Um, well, welcome again. Once again, my name is Scott, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it is an honor. Uh, to be with you, and it's kind of a scary honor too. Really, I'm not. I usually, like to be back behind the scenes and do another type of pastoral stuff. And so, and I have a whole new appreciation for what Chad and Sean do. Just after, uh, just kind of grinding it out this week and, and studying. They have. It's not easy putting words together and thoughts together and hearing from God on behalf of an entire church. And so, um, and th- that is at least until I saw the video I'm about to show you. And and this is my Christmas gift to you. So you're welcome in advance. Merry Christmas. Oh, this would only happen to me. This is glass. This is a metal hammer and it's not breaking. I'm trying to be cool, Pastor, with the illustration up here. Awesome. Nope. Hey. All right. Overdid it. Hi there. Woo! Merry Christmas. I cannot talk. This whole weekend, I've got the spirit of Almer Fudd. I'm like, hey, whoa, thank you for coming to church. He's just like, boom. Oh, my word, sorry. I didn't think that through. On your way out for your last service at Red Rocks ever, please enjoy an abundant amount of candy. <clears throat> and uh, I put in here surprise. Uh, someone Sean pops out. Buy my book. <laughs> now as husbands, if we're gonna love our wives as li- wives love as husbands, we we'll start that over, Chad. If we are going to Welcome to week two of our Christmas teaching series. That is way too long for me to pronounce. And so, and what's with all these like froofy, frilly, funny Christmas movies when we we didn't even give the best Christmas movie of all time a nod? And that's the Christmas movie where John McLean, played by Bruce Willis, declares war in Nakatomi Towers. And the terrorist Hans Gruber, Chris Rocks the Chauffeur, it's a great, Die Hard, come on, the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Man, and, and I, think it, I think it's my favorite, because, you know, and it's really more like Christmas, I think, than any of the movies we showed on that video. I mean, after all, the first Christmas was, you know, it was gritty and dirty. There's the the terrorist Herod running around trying to kill Christ. and and There's more action, you know. And so I think that actually had more. Anyway, hey, I want to to start by defining, just by by summing up Christmas according to God's word. Just going to sum it up. In, In essence, Christmas means God understands us. He was willing to take a dose of his own medicine, step out of a perfect heaven, And step into his creation to experience what we feel, to go through what we go through, and then ultimately to rescue us from sin and from death. But Christmas will never fully make sense to us until we realize, as human beings, that we need a Savior. Bottom line. The late 20th century, there was an incredible, very thoughtful world leader, the first president of the Czech Republic. His name was Vaclav Havel. He said the pursuit of the good life will not help humanity save itself, nor is democracy alone enough. Havel said a turning to and a seeking of God is needed. The human race constantly forgets, he added, that he is not God. So let's, let's go back to where this whole Christmas thing started. Didn't start that day in Bethlehem. It goes back even further, millennia further. It goes all the way back to the garden. In chapter three of Genesis, when we hear for the very first time a, a, just a, a twinge of a whisper that says, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. It's when God said to the serpent, You might, you might strike his heel or bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. You might win a battle, but Jesus is going to win the war. He's coming. Jesus is coming, and then that train just keeps rolling down the tracks of redemptive history and picks up speed throughout the prophets, and prophecies start springing forth. And I want to read to you what it says in Hebrews 1 and 2. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir over all things, and through him also he made the universe. In the Old Testament, we have over 60 different prophecies with over 300 different references to those prophecies that that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And it's faint and it's distant, but Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming and starts to pick up some speed. Here are a handful of those Old Testament prophecies. He would be a descendant of Noah's son Shem. He'd be out of the house of David. He'd come come to a small city called Bethlehem. He'll be born of a virgin. The Messiah would be the seed of a woman that would come to destroy the work of the devil, that he would perform many miracles. He would open the eyes of the blind. He'd speak in parables, and the list just goes on and on and on. And Christmas is not simply about a birth, but it's much more about a coming. For God started revealing that Jesus would be coming even before the earth was created. We find that out in Revelation chapter 13. And we start to see that this was in motion long before he arrived. So on that first Christmas, that, that faint whisper that Jesus is coming turns into this quiet arrival, very quiet arrival. He's here. He's here. Forty-two generations after God made a covenant with Abraham, the Christ appears. He arrives. And just at the perfect time and in the perfect place. And isn't that just like God? And the perfect place being Bethlehem, because that, that made the, fulfilled the prophecy. But in the perfect time, I mean, the stage was set at the time Christ arrived, arrived to, to get that good news out all across the world. I mean, the Roman world had developed to where there's now roads throughout all of the civilized countries and civilized world. The Greek language was now the most common language, and people could now communicate faster and better throughout this world, this world as they traveled. The stage was set, but it was also the darkest time in spiritual history. It was 400 years of spiritual drought before, between the Old Testament, the end of the Old Testament, and the beginning of the New Testament. We call that the intertestamental period. It was some dark times. And just when people started thinking that God might have forgot about him, he came. He showed up. As soon as people started thinking, like, is there a God? He showed up and revealed himself. Quiet arrival. Jesus is coming. And now there's a proclamation made by heaven to mankind that he is here. The greatest news in the history of the world Jesus is here. The greatest news ever. And who is this proclamation made to? And I put in my notes just enter the jury. And I, and I, I call these guys the jury, the, the, the guys that the proclamation was made to by the angels and by the presence of the Lord. And it's because have you been to jury duty? And have you been selected for a job you just never, ever wanted to do? Let's take a look at these guys Luke 2 8 through 18. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The greatest news the world's heard. Why did God reveal it and proclaim it to these guys? Why the shepherds, there's a savior that's come to take on God's wrath in your place. The greatest news. Why to these guys? They had heard the whisper, and now they have heard the proclamation. This is the high point of redemptive history. This is the greatest moment, the greatest news in the history of the world. A savior has come. These simple shepherds will be the first people on the planet to hear the gospel and they would be the first people to share the gospel. So why the shepherds? And so that's what I was asking. As I was studying, I just started going like, why these guys? I mean, there has to be more than what I'm reading at just face value, right? I mean, could there be? So what I did was I did an old, like an entry-level hermeneutical like Bible college Bible study. It's called a 30 for 30. I, I call it 30 for 30. It's when you take a, a portion of scripture and you want to dig and mine it and find out more about it and just start the study. You do this 30 for 30 for 30 minutes. You sit down in a quiet room, you and God in the Word of God, and, and you begin to pick it apart for 30 minutes. And you, you begin down to write as many possible truths, 30 truths you try to get to in 30 minutes about this about the scripture. So after about three minutes, I think I wrote down everything I, I thought that existed. Maybe five or eight minutes or something like that. Then I'm like, man, okay, that's not, this exercise is supposed to bring out more. So I'm gonna I'm gonna endure it. And then it's not until about minute 24, 25, and beyond that, that you start to find some illumination from the Holy Spirit. And like there's more there. And so what I discovered was that God revealed, I think first, he revealed to these shepherds this the best news, the greatest news the world's ever heard because of their status. I wrote it down. I think I think it has something to do with their status. These guys we're outcasts. But this is when we have to kind of question God's marketing strategy. You know, like, really? I mean, the greatest news in the history of the world? And you're going you're gonna to share it first with the, with the shepherds, the outcasts? I mean, if I would have been the PR agent, the public relations guy on this, I would have taken this and run with it. I would not have gone to the shepherds. In fact, they would be literally the last people on earth I would have gone to with the greatest news. I would, I would have definitely gone to the high priest. You know, he's like the pope in Israel. You know, he, you go to him with the news. He's the religious. He's the guy that has the ear of the world, you know. So you go to the movers and the shakers, the people that are important, maybe the Sadducees and the Pharisees because they were the, the governmental leaders. You know, they were the sp- also spiritual leaders and they were the one that were like, they were really the ones that investigated like religious tradition and prophecies. They would have been, maybe I would have gone to the scribes and the high priest, because they're the teachers. And, you know, nope, the shepherds. He chose the shepherds. Okay, at least get a memo out to Caesar Augustus, because let that guy know that the king of kings and lord of lords has been born. No, these guys are PR nightmares. Nightmares. They're outcasts, the lowliest of the low. I mean, they were dirty. They slept... Uh, right, with their animals, and, and they didn't make next to anything. They didn't make any wages, hardly anything. They didn't have a trade. They were uneducated. They were untrained. They were unskilled. In fact, this job was mostly resign, uh, assigned to kids because it was so easy to do. They were also frowned upon, not just looked down upon, but frowned upon because they weren't able to keep the, the Sabbath. They had to work seven days a week, and so they had to, they had to break the Mosaic Law. And when studying how they were looked at in Hebrew culture, I looked at what the missionist said, which is kind of like a rabbinic concordance or like commentary on the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible in the Old Testament. And here's what the missionist said about how Hebrews should steer their kids away from becoming shepherds. Here's what it says A man should not teach his son to be a donkey driver or a camel driver, or a barber. I don't know what they got against barbers, but, or a sailor, or a herdsman, a shepherd, or a shopkeeper, for their craft is the craft of robbers. So these guys are outcasts, breaking Mosaic law. They're known to be criminals. They really are the lowest of the low. They're the least special people of all. But isn't that the point? And isn't that just like God? to reveal the greatest news in the history of the world to the lowest of the low, the humblest of the humble, the shepherds. Listen to what Isaiah 61 says in verses 1 and 2. It's really the voice of the pre-incarnate Christ speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He'll later um, fulfill this prophecy in Luke 4, verse 18. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. The shepherds would have qualified for that. No one chooses to be a shepherd except Christ. <clears throat> Jesus would show up to these guys, God would show up through his angels and his presence to reveal Jesus to these guys because Jesus, too, would spend his life here on earth as an outcast, just like them. Think about it. He, he was a, of illegitimate birth, at least that his world thought that. He was poor, as evidenced by the manger he was lying in. He was rejected and publicly, publicly humiliated by his friends and everybody else in society. The Bible even tells us that we as human beings esteemed him not especially based on his outer appearance. He was an outcast. But I also think that God chose these guys to reveal this news to, this proclamation that Jesus is here. It's not just a whisper that he's coming anymore. It's that he's here. Because of their sheep as well, not just because of their status, but their sheep had something to do with it. So I began to study. and I just started doing some work, and I I remembered some passages back in, in Micah that, that were prophetic. And I started studying these. And we all know, I mean, they all knew, the people at this time, they all knew that the Messiah was supposed to show up in Bethlehem. Look at Matthew 2, uh, verses 5 and 6. He says, When he called together, and he being Herod, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written, speaking of Micah. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, be are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel now the prophet micah foretold that the messiah would be was to be born in bethlehem but a few verses before that in micah chapter 4 verse 8 he reveals that the kingdom of god is to be ushered in to this world in a place called the tower of the flock which is just right outside Bethlehem, actually. It's actually a, a fielded area just outside of Bethlehem between Bethlehem and, and Jerusalem where shepherds would actually keep track and, and they would herd and they would shepherd the temple flocks, the flocks that were used for sacrifices. Back then, before Christ, before his, his, his pardoning of our sins, after embracing him, to get forgiveness of our sins, we know that we had to, people had to actually sacrifice animals. It was in this area, Migdal Eder is what it was called. The temple, the tower of the flock is where these shepherds would be shepherding this temple herd. These weren't just ordinary shepherds. These were Bethlehem shepherds. These weren't just ordinary sheep. These were Bethlehem sheep. These were spotless and stainless sheep without scar, without blemish because that's the kind of sacrifice that it took. They had to be perfect. And Jesus shows up to these guys because they would get it. God shows up to these guys proclaiming Jesus because they would get it. Not just because they were outcasts. He said, they said Savior. There's a Savior. And they would know what that means. Jesus came to these shepherds because they were outcasts and he would be an outcast. He came to these, these uh, temple flock shepherds because he too would become a spotless lamb that would die for the sin of mankind and once and for all. But the cardinal purpose, I think, he showed up to these, these shepherds was based on their role. I mean, I think he showed up to these shepherds because they were shepherds. And think about what a shepherd does they're caretakers, they're protectors, and they're watchers, and they're guides. And lest we look down on them for their role and for what they do, we have to be reminded of, of what, who God says he is. In Psalm 23, even, he says he calls himself the shepherd. Israel's national heroes, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and David, King David, they were all Moses, they were all shepherds. In fact, it's kind of cool to think that in these very fields where these where these shepherds received this news, this proclamation, the greatest news in the world, it could have been the very same spot or at least in the same vicinity that David sat down and wrote the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. For these were David's fields. These were David's father Jesse's fields just outside, just outside the city. Of David. Their role was important. Jesus also called himself the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. The Lord appeared to these guys because, like them, he was an outcast. His son would be an outcast. Angels appeared to these guys, and the Lord's presence appeared to these guys because Jesus himself would also be a sacrificial, spotless lamb led to the slaughter on our behalf. And, and, and like them, Jesus would come as a shepherd. Now, I too was, was selected for jury duty, like when I was 13, okay? So uh, it's hard to explain. Like I, I was in youth group at church. And there was an opportunity to go with our youth group. We we lived in California. Went to Sacramento to a youth convention where there was thousands of kids. And I didn't really want to go, but the speaker that year was Lisa Welchel. And she was Blair on the Facts of Life, and I loved her. She was hot, okay? Remember Blair? Blair? Facts of Life. So I'm like, okay, I'll go. It's 1984. Blair, you know, Blair's the speaker. Evidently, she's a Christian. And so I'm going to go. I'm going to get as close to Blair as I possibly can. It was worth my trip. But it was there, it was there that I, I got called for jury duty. Um, she she made the statement, she said she called all the students down, she said, if in fact you're here today in this service and you want to hear from God, I want you to get up, get out of your seat, come down, and just say, God, I want you to speak to me. And so it wasn't just that I wanted to get closer to her. I wanted to really wanted to hear from God. I did. So I got up out of my seat, I went down as close as I could, because there was a lot of kids. I kneeled down, and in almost the moment that I said, God, I want to hear you, every single cell in my body heard God call me to be a pastor. I can't explain to you. I can't tell you what it was like. It wasn't audible. It was just God called me to be a pastor. And I didn't want to be. And here's why. I immediately got up and went back to my seat, and I didn't pray for five years. I didn't want to hear God talk to me again. I mean, Chad and I, we come from a long line of pastors. We don't want to be. We didn't. Neither of us wanted to be pastors, okay? And and that's still, I I, I laugh, but that's still really how I was affirmed in my calling. I really didn't want to be a pastor. I really didn't. But ever since I began to embrace that calling later on when I started going to college and, and being obedient to God, um, I started studying shepherds because that's what pastor means. I started studying. I wanted to know everything about what shepherds do, how they lead sheep, and all these different, you know, I, want, I wanted to know the inside scoop on shepherding. But it wasn't until a couple years ago that I, that I heard an illustration that really changed my life. It impacted me so deeply. Uh, A friend of mine, his name's Matt, he pointed me to a documentary that um, I was able to... uh, It was a documentary on the running of the bulls in Pamplona, Spain, okay? It's like a bucket list thing for me, not to go run from the bulls, but just to go watch, okay? And so I, I studied this, and you guys have seen the running of the bulls on TV or on movies. It's when these... Death Wish guys and ladies dress up and they run from the bulls, mostly pretty drunk, I think, too, and through the streets of Pamplona, Spain, to get to the city center through these very narrow alleyways and, and just try not to die, you know? And so um, I started studying this and I started watching this and doing more research on it. And I realized that there's three different characters in the running of the bulls. There's first of all, these guys right here, there's, there's bulls. These, these little death marchers right here, these guys are awful. They're just 2,500 pounds of pain, right? And so there's usually about 12 to 15 in a herd that run through the streets at a time with about 50 people running from them, which are the other character in this Running of the Bulls scenario. They wear white and with red belts and red scars, and they try not to get any more red on them with blood. I promise you that. So the bulls chase these people, and these people do everything they can in their power to run as fast as they can and not fall lest they get trampled on and, and, and killed. Okay, but then I started realizing that there's another character in this scenario. I mean, I started noticing these guys in green shirts, and they would carry sticks, and they would either run inside the herd or right behind the herd or both. And then I saw, the, I saw this picture of them. They always had this, this, this word on the back of their shirts. It says pastores. pastores, pastores, pastor. It says shepherd, These guys, and it just hit me. I mean, when I saw that, and when I saw what they were doing in the video, and I saw them running inside the herd, man, I can't tell you what that did to me. It summed up my job like no other illustration has summed up my job. Um, And I'm not comparing you to bulls, okay? Bless your heart. but there's evidently there's this guy. He's like the David Beckham of, of pastores. He's, the, he's like the, the pastores of pastores. He's the shepherd of shepherds, and he's an older guy missing an ear. Got all these dents in his body from getting trampled on so much. And they were interviewing him, and I was just mesmerized by this guy because, after all, he's a pastor. And they'd say, like, why do you do this? He's like, oh, it's a family tradition. You know, it's, it's in our bloodline, and we do it because we love it. And they're like, how do you get to run right inside the herd? I mean, how do they let you? They let us do it because they know us. We spend all of our time with them. They know, us, they know us well. They let us run right, because they know we're here to protect them. They know we're here to guide them and to watch out for them. Yeah, we get stepped on. Yeah, we get gored and we get gouged and we get pushed up against the walls and sometimes we even fall and get trampled and I'm like, man, I hear you. I know what it's, that's what it's like to be a pastor. You know, I understand that. I do. No. But he said one thing that stood out that I will never forget. He said, it's our job to make sure they go from their original location to their intended destination without hurting themselves or others. Then I immediately thought, "That's, that's God's job. That's what Jesus did in the incarnation. As the good shepherd who said he would lay down his life for his herd, his sheep. Steps out of heaven and into our world. And he begins to lead us. He begins to guide us. And he begins to protect us. And ultimately to get us to our desired destination, which is heaven itself. That's the goal of Christ. He came to earth so that he could guide us to heaven forever. That's why he came at Christmas time. It's not my job as a pastor to tell you what's gonna happen in the future. It is my job as a pastor to tell you what Christ said is going to happen in the future. Listen to Hebrews 1, 1, and 2 again. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. It started with a whisper all the way back with the prophets of old that would speak to us about Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus, I'm gonna get louder and louder, and Jesus is coming until he came. He did, he arrived, and the proclamation was made to these shepherds. And now Jesus is among us. And guess what? Jesus started to shout and not whisper Jesus is coming. Jesus starts preaching Jesus as soon as he gets here. In fact, there's chapters dedicated to Jesus saying, I'm coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. In fact, Matthew chapter 24 is like the shouting chapter. He's just telling about how he's coming again. He came to earth so that he could come again and get us to our desired des- destination, which is heaven. And don't just take my word for it, take the words. Of Christ, for we are in that pre arrival season once again. Just like in that end of that 400 dark period where it seemed like God had forgotten about his plan and his people, he came, he showed up. And we are in that same window again where it might seem like God has forgotten about us. It might seem like God's not going to fulfill prophecy and come back and send his son back and ha- give us heaven as soon as we begin to think that he comes back listen to the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 24:37 through 39 actually Matthew 16:27 for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done Matthew 24:36 says but about the day or the hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven nor the son but only the father In the New Testament, 260 chapters. The second coming of Christ is mentioned no less than 318 times. Make no mistake about it, Jesus is coming, and God has given us some specific instructions on what we are to do while we wait on his return. Mark Christ's words, not mine. Matthew 24, 37-39 says, As it was in the days of Noah, Jesus is saying this, Jesus is saying this. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of of Man. From the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up till the day Noah entered the ark. And then they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Matthew 24, 40 through 44 says, Two men will be in a field, he says. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Jesus is coming back. Band, you can come back up. Started with this whisper Jesus is coming throughout all of redemptive history, all of the Old Testament timeline was Jesus is coming. The prophets told us. He arrived and now the Son of God tells us that Jesus is coming. Get ready. So what are we supposed to do? As the church, as followers of Jesus Christ, what are we supposed to do? First, we're supposed to be watching for him. Luke 12, 37 says, Blessed are those servants whom the Master, when he comes, will find watching. In other words, we just shouldn't get caught up in the things of this world, especially things that we got caught up in when we were non believers or that other non believers. Jesus, God says we, we are in this world, yes, but we're not of this world. The Bible tells us we shouldn't even be worrying about the, what we should eat or drink or wear. It's kind of funny, last night I was talking to my son about speaking today, and he was like, Dad, what are you going to talk about? And I was telling him what I was talking about. I was like, hey, Dad, what are you going to wear? He's 12, okay? And he's like, Dad, what are you wear? And I'm like, oh, probably what I always wear. And he's like, I think you should wear skinny pants, skinny jeans. <laughs> he's like, really? Uncle Chad and Sean wears them, and all the youth pastors wear them? And I'm like, hey, I said, literally I said, Jesus will return for his church before I wear skinny jeans. <laughs> they, don't make, they don't make husky Husky skinny jeans. (laughs) I've found that the more and more I watch for the return of Christ and for the building of his kingdom, the more I hear in my heart and in my soul, it just doesn't matter. So many things just don't matter. The pursuits of this world, money, so many things just don't matter. What matters is what lasts for eternity not just a fraction of a moment that we have on this earth. Second, we should be ready. If you find yourself in a place tonight and if the Lord were to come back, you'd feel unready. You'd be living in a way that would, it would shock you if the Lord came back. The Bible tells us we're, we're supposed to be ready over and over and over again. Read Matthew 24 this week in your devotional time. Third, we should want to become more like Jesus Christ every single day. 2 Peter 11 through 14, here are some snippets. You ought to live holy and godly lives. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with Him. Fourth, we should be anxiously awaiting. His return. Have you ever been waiting for someone to get home? I just had, man, probably the, the most incredible situation like this when my daughter, when I picked up my daughter at the airport after her first two months of college after, at Thanksgiving. And I was so excited. I was jumping for joy. And she's just like, hey, Dad, how you doing? And I'm like, ah. You know, I'm so, I'm so excited, you know. It's like when our kids, our teenagers, our 16, 17, and 18 year olds are waiting for us to get home from work. Are you kidding me? They want us to go back to work. It's our four and five year olds and our three and two year olds that are waiting for us at the window and the door. And they're they're waiting for us to get home because they wanna play and they wanna wrestle and they wanna eat and they wanna play and color and they wanna hug and, and they're waiting for us to get home. That's the kind of anxious awaiting I'm talking about. We should be anxiously awaiting the Lord's return. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him finally we should be working we should be working John 9 verse 4 tells us that there's a day coming that it's all gonna to come to an end it says work well this day for night is coming when no man can work by watching and being ready we're showing faith but by watching and then working we're putting faith and action together this is a great season to start inviting people into your life and into your world to share Christ with them by any means possible. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of really good friends who just don't know Jesus Christ. The whole thing, the whole concept either insults their intelligence or it just, they don't believe it or they've had a bad experience or they just haven't, they just haven't had the faith yet to believe in Christ. My heart my heart yearns for them. You know what? I, I wanna encourage you guys to think about this. Think about people you can invite to church over the next couple weeks. These next two weeks are designed for you to bring people who need to hear about Jesus Christ. And I say that shamelessly because Chad and I, our dad, our dad was invited to church out of a non-Christian family. He, he grew up in a non-Christian family. He was invited to church by a neighbor when he was a child and he accepted Christ. So I don't know where, I don't know what would have happened if they hadn't invited my dad to church. We need to be working, because we have that window of opportunity to put our faith in Christ, and then to help other people discover Christ as well. And that that window is going to close sometime. It's going to close at one point. There's a recurring theme in the Bible, and that's this: as you read it, you can't help but to notice it. Jesus is going to come to this earth twice. He came the first time as an outcast to the outcasts. Came the first time, He came the first, the first time to these shepherds of these spotless lambs to reveal himself as a spotless lamb. He came the first time to these shepherds to reveal himself as the shepherd who would lay down his life for his sheep. But he's coming back the second time to be the king of kings, And the Lord of Lords, it's going to look a lot different. It's going to look a lot different, a lot different. He came humbly the first time, so he was approachable. But he's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And people are going to miss Christmas this year unless they realize that they are poor without God and are outcast themselves without the Lord. They're going to miss Christ this year unless they realize their need for a Savior. They're going to miss Christmas this year unless they realize that they they have a shepherd that wants to help them get from their original location to their desired destination. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I love you. We want to take the time tonight to say thank you for Jesus Christ. He is faithful and he is kind and he showed up to take our place. He showed up to bear the pain and to bear the death that belonged to each one of us, Lord. And God, we thank you that you've made the promise to us that if we put our faith in you, if we trust you and we choose to follow you and take up our cross and follow you, that we can experience heaven forever. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, I want to ask you, if you're in this room tonight and you find yourself in a situation where you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, but you want to be, God's doing something in your heart tonight. and You're like, I, yes, I, I'm choosing. I want to choose to be a follower of Christ. I want to devote my life to Christ. I want to accept his forgiveness for my sins. And I want to accept and embrace the heaven he provides forever in addition to what he calls an abundant life on earth. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. If you're here tonight and you're in that situation and you want to say tonight, With no one looking around, yes, that's me. I want to put my faith in Christ tonight. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ right now where you're at, boldly proclaim that by just slipping up a hand right where you happen to be. Right where you happen to be. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am going to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for each person who raised their hand. God, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to work out their faith and build their faith now as they grow, as they read scripture, as they start following you, God, in a brand new way. I pray, God, that you would illuminate yourself to them. God, through your word and through your Holy Spirit, I pray you become real in their lives and begin this personal relationship with them in their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, and through that relationship that we all have with Jesus Christ. Pray, Lord, as they confess their sins now to you, and I pray, Lord, as they Proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ with their own lips. Pray, Lord, you would redeem them as you promised. We thank you for changing lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul said something uh, to the church. He said, he reminded us of, of the importance of remembering not Christ's birth, but Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The Bible never tells us to commemorate the birth of Jesus Christ. We do, and that's great. It's important. It's important to commemorate. But he tells us to commemorate Easter. He tells us to remember the resurrection and his death. So tonight what I'd love to do is I'd love to celebrate Christmas by commemorating his death, burial, and resurrection. The Apostle Paul tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you, Whenever you eat this bread, remember me. Remember what I've done. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, the the wine. He said, this is like the new covenant of my blood. Whenever you drink this cup, it proclaims, uh, it, it, it reveals this new testament, this new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So tonight, as we start worship, in fact, you can stand right where you're at if you would right now. We're getting ready to worship God tonight. And as we do, the ushers will come by and they'll start serving communion out of like these little Chick-fil-A looking little packets here. And we're not trying to be disrespectful to the elements into to the bread and to the juice. But it's not about them. These are symbols. It's all about remembering. It's about remembering. We still want to be, you know, sacerdotal about the whole thing. But the bread's inside and the juice is inside. And at your convenience, pray, thank the Lord for it. In fact, we'll do it in just a second. And then during worship, go ahead and take the bread and take the wine or actually the grape juice as as, uh, you feel led to. So Lord, we thank you so much for uh, the broken body and the blood that was shed on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, that we can find healing in our bodies based on your broken body. We thank you that we can find salvation through the blood that you shed for us on the cross. I pray today, Lord, that each one of us would understand your sacrifice for us in a brand new way. Reveal that to us now as we sing and as we partake of these elements. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Red Rocks, let's worship.